good to see all of you here. Welcome. We've been in a series talking about food for the soul and things that we can consume that will nourish us, that will give us vitamins, nutrition, nutrients that will make our souls strong, hence soul food. And we've been talking about the different Christian practices over the years, hundreds of years, even thousands of years, things that Christians have done that have fed us and that have also marked us as Christians. And there's a lot of stuff. We've talked about hospitality. We've talked about praying the examine and the Psalms. We're going to talk about things like acts of mercy, forgiveness. We're going to talk about a lot of things, a lot of the, those nutrients. Today, I want to talk about vitamin L, vitamin L. Vitamin L is oftentimes one of the most neglected nutrients uh, for our souls, and that is the nutrient of lament. And what I'm going to talk about for today and next Sunday is lament and forgiveness. Lament and forgiveness. These are two sides, I believe, of the same coin. You know, our Lord Jesus teaches us, and one of the great teachings, I think, that transcends all religions is his teaching to forgive our enemies. This is entirely unique, to actually do good and show kindness to those who have harmed. This is something that not only is part of Christian teaching, but it's something that's so difficult to attain. For so many people that are in the church, we love everything that Jesus teaches, we love all the stuff that he talks about, but when it comes down to the nitty-gritty of actually forgiving it's very, very hard. And what I'd like to do is get us to, become, get us to this place where, as a church, we become a more forgiving people. But in order to forgive, there are things that have to happen first. And what I'm going to talk about uh, is four steps to forgiveness. And you'll see this in your notes. Four steps to forgiveness. And um, you have this interesting graphic there. And you know, we're going to talk about a lot of interesting things today. Hopefully, it won't just inform, but it will help you to see yourself in a new way so that when it comes down to forgiveness, it will be something that's attainable. And these four steps to forgiveness, today I'm going to live in the top two. Next Sunday, we'll get to the other two. Uh, in fact, I'll tell you the answer and fill in the blanks right now what they are so that you're enticed to come back next Sunday and hear all the way through. The first step to forgiveness that I'm going to teach today is naming it, naming it. The second step is regulate it, regulate. The third step is to absorb it. Absorb? That doesn't sound healthy. Well, you're going to have to hear next Sunday exactly what I mean by that. And the fourth step is win. So you have name, regulate, absorb, and finally, win. And like I said, I'm going to stay in the top two, number one and two, naming and regulating um, as the prerequisite to forgiveness. The ability to lament, the ability to complain is what I'm talking about here. The ability to speak back, the ability to gripe, the ability to complain. And this is a very important process, lament Complaint, talking back. How many of you grew up uh, like I did? You just didn't talk back. You know, you kind of kept your mouth shut and you repressed it. How many of you grew up 
talking back. You knew how to talk back, and you knew how to speak your mind. And it's interesting because what we have here is really this range of pendulum emotions. That's why we have this graphic of the pendulum. Let me begin with this first step, naming it. And I'm going to start with a story. Um, There once was an old priest, and this old priest was teaching a class of students, young people in ministry, and as he was teaching them, he was teaching them how to forgive. And he was teaching them prayers of forgiveness. This is how you pray for your enemy and how you pray for those who do harm to you. And as he was teaching them, he could sense one student just kind of fidgeting in his seat, agitated. And as he was going on, finally, he said, is there something wrong? And the student said, yeah, there is something wrong, Father. I don't like all this flowery forgiveness stuff, all this flowery overlooking and how we're just going to lie down and say, walk all over me because I forgive you and because I love you and because Jesus said to do that. Father, what about all that stuff in the Psalms where it says we should smash the teeth of the wicked? Or you should. What, is it, what do we do about all that stuff in the Psalms where it says to smite the enemy on the cheek? Can't we say that? Can't we say, can't we be upset? Isn't there any room to be angry? And as he got more and more heated, the priest, the old priest, interjected with those two brilliant words. Yes, and. Yes, you're right. Yes, and. By the way, is there anybody in this room that's having trouble naming their anger first? Naming their anger first. All the students looked around. And the one student who had spoken up looked around and sheepishly raised his hand and said, I have a problem naming my anger. My question to you, friends, for those of you, half of you, how many of you have trouble naming it when you're angry? How many of you have a problem with coming to terms with your feelings and your the fact that you were upset. My, I, I place myself in this camp. My wife loves to remind me that I don't feel until five days later. And it's amazing how accurate that is. It goes to show the dis-ease in my own soul. And this thing about anger, uh, we repress it or we overexpress it, and we have this range. But let me talk about this First of all, about this experience of repressing our anger, or more so, jumping too quickly to forgiveness. I do believe in the, in, in the teaching that Christ teaches us to forgive, but I think it's a mistake if we forgive too quickly. Now, mind you, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're well-developed in your, in your spiritual life and, and you're in a healthy emotional individual and you're able to forgive quickly, that's a good thing. But for those of us that jump too quickly to acceptance, we jump too quickly to forgiveness, but we don't go through the process of naming, what happens is a dis-ease of the soul begins to set in. Let me teach a little bit of scripture here that, you know, in the Old Testament, the experience of suffering was very, very common. Uh, Much of the Old Testament is written from the perspective of suffering and lament. And I taught through the CBE series about the history of Israel, how they were a great and powerful nation until beasts began knocking on their door. You know, the story of the the, the wolves and the three little pigs. Little pig, little pig, let me in. And as these giant nations, Assyria, Babylon, 
Rome as they began to descend and begin to overpower Israel. And as Israel was beginning to suffer intensely, their complaint sounded, how shall I say, it sounded angry. And when you read the laments, when you read the Psalms, and when you read the different stories that come from that period in Jewish history, what you hear is more this protestation of innocence. A protestation of innocence, in other words, why is this happening? This shouldn't be happening. I did everything, we did everything right. God, I'm justified in your sight. This shouldn't happen. And it's kind of like the psychological phenomenon of denial. Denial, where it says, I don't deserve this. This shouldn't be happening. But as time went on, and as generations went on, and as the Jewish people began to just settle in on the fact that we're no longer what we once were, and that we are really, really suffering, as the pain really began to set in, they began to move from denial, and in the voice of their lament and their complaint, it moved more towards acceptance. Maybe we did do something wrong. Maybe we did break God's law. And instead of shaking a fist at God and saying, why is this happening? There was more of this penance and this kind of repentant attitude saying, okay, we see why we're here. God, forgive us, forgive us. The point that I'm making here is that there is a process, a process to lament. There's a process that is necessary to go through. If we jump too quickly to this latter part of acceptance, I deserve it. Maybe this is supposed to be. Without learning how to shake a fist up in the sky every now and then. Without learning how to say, why is this? Without learning to speak back. If we don't go through that process, then emotional health is stunted. Friends, have you no sense of self-respect and self-preservation? And even a healthy amount of ego. That when somebody walks all over you, that you say, well, I guess I'll just take it. The thing is, oftentimes we think that God can't take our lip. We're afraid that if we speak back to God, that lightning will strike. We're afraid that if we give God a piece of our mind, or if we really authentically talk back to Him, that somehow we've committed the unpardonable sin. You have not committed the unpardonable sin when you've been honest. I assure you, you have not committed the unpardonable sin if you are being honest with how you feel to God. God knows what you're really thinking. There's this wonderful story that illustrates this. It's a story that goes back to ancient Jewish times. It's a, a little story about a group of Jewish people that were arguing with a rabbi. And as they were arguing with the rabbi, they were arguing a theological point. And they were saying, no, rabbi, this is the way it is. And the rabbi was trying to say, no, this is the way it is. And as they debated this theological point, the rabbi said, I'll prove it to you. I'm going to call upon God to show us miracles and speak with a voice from heaven to prove that I'm right. And lo and behold, a voice, a heavenly voice spoke and the miracles happened. The miracles happened. But the group of Jewish people that were arguing they pointed back at heaven and they said this, we pay no heed 
to a heavenly voice. For you have already written in the Torah at Mount Sinai to incline after a multitude. In other words, what they're saying is, we're not going to listen to you, God, because your Bible says that you should listen to us. You will listen to a multitude. And in talking back, I mean the cheek, the gumption, to talk back to God like that. And this is an ancient Jewish story. And according to the story, God smiled. God smiled and he replied, oh, my children, my children have vanquished me. My children have vanquished me. And you almost get the sense that God appreciated it when they were pushing back. God appreciated it when they finally opened their mouths and protested. Now, too often, especially in Asian society, I'll say this, in Asian society, we too often are not given a chance to lip. But the day when you finally do, and we finally speak out, you find a voice. It's important and healthy to name it and to be able to find a voice when it comes to anger. Because if we are not naming it and we jump to acceptance too quickly and we jump to forgiveness prematurely, then harm is done to the self. In essence, we erase our right to exist if there is no self-defense. Self-preservation is a normal, healthy human instinct. And if there is no sense of self-preservation, no instinct to have dignity, to, to protect yourself, then you're erasing your right to exist. Now, so, naming it. I mean, we're all mature adults here. I have no problem saying I'm upset. Most of you are like, I have no problem naming it. My problem is I name it too much. My problem is I'm like that guy that's at the corner office that everybody avoids because all I want to do is gripe about the boss. And that leads us to the second thing, regulating it. And here, I think we have an interesting conversation. There's this great uh, quote by a theologian named Helmut Thielicke, and he talks about how uh, young students should not preach. Young students of the Bible should not preach. The reason is because when we are young, well, I'll just read it. He says, during the period when the voice is changing, when the voice is changing during the period, we do not sing. And during the life of the theological student, during this formational life, uh, this early period, the theological student does not preach. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, in the path to maturity, we start off screechy. And it's the same way with anger. If you've lived a repressed life and you finally get in touch with your anger, you kind of sound like awkward man or woman. When we finally name our anger, what happens is with a screechy voice, the pubescent voice that says, well, this is how I really feel. And everybody's kind of staring because of the awkwardness of it. I found my anger and I'm expressing my anger. And everybody's like, okay, all right, simmer down. It's because we've found it and yet it's screechy. If you can look at this, if you can pull up the pendulum picture, this is what we're talking about. What we're talking about here, I think, is an important emotional process that all of us go through. Maybe you grew up in the church and all you heard was forgive, 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 forgive. And you lived this life where you began to move more to the right. Okay, forgive, I'll release. And you kept hearing forgive, and you went from release to repress. 
And you hear forgive, forgive, and finally releasing and repressing becomes resentment. How many of you know this feeling? That you kept your mouth shut for so long and it's just you're, 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 uh, you're, there's poison inside. The poison of resentment. Now, a pendulum, if you know how a pendulum works, when you tightly pull some, wind something up all the way to one extreme and you let it go, is it going to come and just stop it, even keel, center? Ephesians 4, 26, be angry and do not sin. Is it going to, if you let it go, is it going to stop, even keel, right in the middle? When somebody is incredibly resentful, they do not move towards health immediately. Where do they move? The physics of it, I think, reflect the, the soul as well. Something that's tightly wound up and that's released will swing and counterbalance just as violently to the opposite end of rage. A resentful life is very easily a raging life. It's no wonder that the Manchester bomber, yet again, is said to be the most quietest. I never expected it to happen. He was so quiet. He was so quiet. He was so quiet. I am so tired of hearing that. I am so tired of hearing that. What else is new? Do we expect that if we're so tightly wound on this end or the other end that we will arrive at even keel? Ephesians 4.26, right down the middle. You know, I don't think we do because this tendency to counterbalance and to swing us back and forth between these extremes, I think this is the human experience. Friends, I'm not saying that the goal is for us to be dead center. Because if you were dead center, you would be dead. That's it. Life is about movement. Life is about growth. And at different seasons of your life, you're going to be on one side or the other. In one season of your life, you're going to say, hey, I'm just going to let it go. Big deal, no big deal. That's what I say to my kids. Big deal, no big deal. No big deal. No big deal, don't need to talk about it or have a venting. And then on the other end, other seasons of your life, you'll be on this side where, yeah, you know, I can't let that go. I think it's important to respond. And we move back and forth between these, well, hopefully it's not extremes. That's the thing. The goal is not dead center. The goal is less violent extremes. Less violent swinging back and forth. And lest you think that this is just, you know, for older, more mature people, it, it is in some senses. This is the process of emotional maturity so that we can actually forgive. To understand yourself and where you're swinging is an important step to emotional maturity, but I can tell you there are old folks, old folks who don't get this. And there are young people, children, because they are raised in a healthy, expressive, respectful environment. Children that are able to swing back and forth, but not violently. Raising healthy children, becoming healthy ourselves, is about less extreme, less violent swinging and counterbalancing. On the one end, we release and then we repress, and then we become resentful. But on the other end, we respond, and then we react, and then we rage. 
And those extremes of counterbalancing, those extremes of counterbalancing, you know, you know, you heard that phrase, going postal. Going postal. The extremes of counterbalancing is what I think we want to just be aware of. Am I one way, one day, and then completely swinging the opposite the other way? Learning, once again, learning to moderate, to modulate our responses and our releasing. Last thing I'll say about that is this. If I were to take a pendulum and swing it all the way like this, and some of, some of us are tightly wound up. We are tightly wound up. And if I let go of that pendulum and it swung to the opposite extreme, you might just have to go through that. And we, the community, might just have to put up with it for a time. Because it takes time. It takes time for a pendulum to slow down. Does that make sense? It takes time for a pendulum to slow down. And the process of slowing down means we in community have to forbear and understand where a person is. You might just have to go through that, and we might just have to go through it with you. A pendulum slows down, but it takes time. It takes maturity, and it takes patience from the people around us. That's why it's good if you are very resentful or very angry to have a safe place to talk. Very, very important to have a safe place because after a while, I know I have some friends that Actually, when I grew up, I, I, I used to complain. And, you know, your friends, after a while, they kind of roll their eyes and they say, there he goes again. But as we go through these swings of immaturity, sometimes the most helpful thing is to have a counselor, a therapist, a pastor, a staff member at the church who you can say, I just need to talk and for somebody to listen and to help me and to just be patient as I just vent a little bit. Because I'm trying to find health. I'm trying to find something less violent. And I need a safe place to talk. You know, I think that works in marriage as well. In marriage where I say, I'm in a box right now. And I just need five minutes of your time to listen. And to our spouses we say, I'll listen as long as you need me to. In conclusion... And we do have communion today. In conclusion, think about those two things. Naming, regulating. But is that all there is? Is that all there is? There's more. Because there's a place for justice. I'm not prescribing for all of us to be Zen and... and uh, what, was that? what was that thing somebody said yesterday? That, like, oom, you know, I'm not trying to get us to this place where we're kind of, you know, nothing bothers me, I'm unmoved. And the point is, is not psychological wellness. Because in the end, if a harm was done to you, an injustice was done, an injustice was done, 
What do you do about the injustice? That's the question. What do we do in this world with the injustices that are done to us? That in itself, man, I can feel the heat rising. It's like I'm getting resentful again. What do we do about the injustices done us? Pastor, are you just saying that I just need to kind of do this swinging back and forth thing when an injustice was done to me and I'm supposed to either talk about it or let it go or talk about it? What do I do about the injustice? Because that person has clearly done harm. And I don't mean to be cute here, but that's just, you're going to have to wait till next Sunday. The injustice is real. I am not discounting the injustice and the harm that is done to you. The harm and the injustice that was done to you is real. I think one of the most important things to tell somebody, uh, especially in the case, is I work with a lot of different people, but in the case of, of child abuse, that comes to my mind for some reason. That in the case of child abuse, when a child has been harmed, and I don't have to get graphic here, the problem is with such a young mind, they don't understand if something bad was done to them or if they did something bad. And the, I, I think one of the important things to communicate to a victim of abuse is to say, you are a victim. I, I'm not a victim. I, I, I went along with it. I thought we were playing. I liked it. Whatever the case Maybe it has to be communicated to a person, a victim of those circumstances, to say, you have been harmed. And you have to understand a wrong was done. And you have to understand that the other party did an injustice to you. And what needs to be done henceforth? It's a lifetime of work for people, for pe for people that have gone through that. If anybody here has gone through that. You don't brush that under the rug. You don't say, well, I forgive and I forget. You don't say, it, 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 I, you know, I, I, it's, I, it was my fault. No, no, no. You name it. And you say an injustice was done. A harm was done. And you got to work through that. you got to talk. If you've been abused at a young age, you must, you must, you must talk with somebody professional. I can do outpatient. You don't, if you don't want to talk to me, I, I, I get it. You know, a church is a social society. But I can do outpatient referral. I know good people. I can be involved in the healing process. I want to be involved as your pastor. Talk about it. Work through it because you are not a victim and injustice was done. And here's the thing, and I'll close with this thought. What do we do with so much injustice in the world? What do we do with so much pain and harm that goes on in the world? The secret is in the cross. The atonement of Christ. There we see the end of injustice. There we will see what it means to absorb and to win. And that's next Sunday. If you could close your eyes with me. Friends, how many of you are having a hard time saying, I'm a victim? How many of you are having a hard time naming it and communicating it? How many of you 
have a hard time saying a wrong was done to me. Or, let's go the other way. How many of you know how to speak your mind? You've got no problem there. But your anger has polluted the people around you, your environment, your soul. How many of you live under the addiction of anger? Because it's addictive. It's very addictive. I want to invite you, if you feel like any one of those two, to just extend your hands in a cupping motion, saying, God, fill my cup. Just hold your hands open like this. And I'd like for you at this time to see God filling your cup with what you need. And to see God filling your cup with whether it is compassion, forgiveness, or even the permission to speak your mind. I love it. My professor in seminary would say, come at me, prove me wrong, prove me wrong. God says to you, come at me, prove me wrong. Lord Jesus, at this time, I pray in your holy ministry of atonement, of death, of sacrifice, of paying for the sins of others, in your holy ministry now, I pray that you would fill the cups of all of us here, that you would fill it with exactly what we need, and that, Lord, these tightly wound up misunderstandings, these conceptions we have in our head that we're just supposed to, we're just supposed to let things go or we're supposed to overspeak, all these things, I pray now in Jesus' name, unwind those knots in our brains. Unwind those thinkings so that we can be set free to wholeness, to true community, to forgiveness, to true relatedness, to true relatedness. Show us, Lord, that explosion is not always the way and that resentment is just as equally devastating. Show us, Lord. Show us, Lord, how to release. Show us, Lord, how to respond. Closing, Lord, I think of the prayer, a famous prayer of Reinhold Niebuhr. God, grant us the serenity to accept the things that we cannot change. But also give us the courage to change the things we can. Help us to know the difference, Lord. Lord, as we approach forgiveness next Sunday, prepare our hearts for your work. Even now, as we take communion, prepare our hearts for the great work, for the great work, for the great work. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a Woven Church podcast. Woven Church is a multi-ethnic missional church that meets in West Houston. We invite you to check us out on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. To find out more, visit us online at www.wovenchurch.org That's www.wovenchurch.org